You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled, What is Necessary in These Urgent Times? This is Lecture 4, entitled, The Necessity for the Development of New Social Forms, given in Dornach on January 16, 1920. I would like to speak once again today about the law of human evolution in the post-Atlantean period. The reason is that in the next few days I have several other considerations that I would like to connect with our consideration of this law. An understanding of the very significant demands of the present and the near future will not find a footing in our times if there is not first a penetrating understanding of the way in which humanity has arrived at this current moment in civilization's evolution. Humanity has undergone a soul evolution since the time we refer to as the Great Catastrophe of Atlantis, an evolution that can be grasped only from a spiritual scientific perspective. When we examine the period of time around this Great Catastrophe of Atlantis, we are not looking as far back into human existence as the contemporary science of this moment in evolution tries to look. Rather, we are looking back only to the period of time that is referred to geologically as the Ice Age, a time in which, as outward science also acknowledges, great transformations occurred in the area that we now refer to as civilized Europe. We arrive at a time somewhere around eight or nine millennia prior to the mystery of Golgotha, and we already refer to the first great cultural age that began in post-Atlantean civilization after the great catastrophe of Atlantis as the ancient Indian epoch. It is important that we direct our gaze toward the fact that the conditions and qualities in the human soul in that ancient period of time were fundamentally and essentially different than they were later, namely as they are in our cultural epoch. From a spiritual scientific perspective, it is significant to examine this soul evolution that took place in humanity. Our outward physical evolution, and also the evolution of material cultural institutions and relations, can only be understood once you penetrate into an understanding of soul evolution. If we now engage in a consideration of the 2,000-year period beginning eight or nine millennia prior to the mystery of Golgotha and moving into the ancient Indian epoch, we encounter a humanity that developed and evolved under entirely different conditions than ones with which we are familiar. In particular, we must keep in mind, as I have often said before, that contemporary human beings undergo a development in which the physical, corporeal development parallels 
the soul's spiritual development, but that this active parallel development occurs only during the first few decades of an individual's life. In the first decade of life, there is the important transformation that we refer to as the changing of teeth, which occurs around the seventh year. We can draw a parallel between this transformation and important soul-spiritual developments that occur at the same time. Then a similar moment of parallel physical, corporeal and soul-spiritual development occurs with the coming of sexual maturity in the fourteenth or fifteenth year. For modern human beings, we can still see this kind of clear, active, parallel development between physical, corporeal and soul-spiritual as we move into our twenties. It is less evident, less clearly visible than it was during the period of time around year 7 and year 14, but for a careful observer it is still very perceptible. This parallel between physical development and spiritual development was during the ancient Indian epoch active in human beings into the sixth decade of life, when human beings reached their fifties. The soul's spiritual part of the human being was dependent upon the physical corporeal development in the manner I described earlier. At a much more advanced age, people experienced the kind of transformations that we experience with the changing of teeth and the coming of sexual maturity. As such, people truly lived with the life of the physical body up until the time that moved into the sixth decade of their life their fifties. And I have drawn your attention in the past to what this actually meant for human life. Let us say that you were a person around thirty years of age. As a thirty-year-old, you would say to yourself, Someday I will be forty, then fifty, and at that time, purely through physical development, I will be entirely different than I am right now. I will have ripened in the world in an altogether new way. People looked at the process of aging in this way much later into their lives. Nowadays we look at aging this way only in regard to our lives as children. Back then people continued to grow, to ripen in their lives, even at a more advanced age. And they had the awareness, the older you get, the more things in the world become clear to you, the more, one might say, the being of the world moves into your soul life from the unknown depths. People experienced much later in their lives the same kind of development that we now experience with the changing of teeth and the coming of sexual maturity. This changed insofar as this active parallel between physical and spiritual development stopped at an ever earlier age. During the next cultural epoch, the ancient Persian epoch, as I called it in my book title and outline of esoteric science, it lasted only into one's early fifties or even late forties. And in the Egypto-Chaldean epoch, it lasted only into one's early forties. During the time in which the still significant Greco-Roman culture spread itself out over the world, people were developed mentally active in this way only into their early thirties. 
People living in ancient Greece felt like young men and women into their early thirties, and they said to themselves that something grew parallel in them as they arrived at their early thirties. Nowadays, by the time we reach our early thirties, we are already dried-out mummies, at least as regards our physical corporeal development. Nowadays we cease to have a true connection with our physical corporeal development at a much younger age than people did in earlier epochs. All of this is also connected with other aspects of human evolution. The first epoch after the fall of Atlantis, the ancient Indian epoch, was populated by people who lived their lives in connection with the universe who specifically in the experiences of their head were intimately connected with the universe. Now all that we know about the universe is what can be discovered and learned in our observatories and through our telescopes, the things that can be reckoned by the astronomers. People living in the ancient Indian epoch felt the movement of the stars in their head. They not only experienced nature on earth in the spring, summer, fall, and winter, they experienced cosmic occurrences in themselves. They might experience in themselves the age, so to speak, of a particular serious constellation. Things that later were imaginatively reckoned by astrologers were truly experienced by those people in the same way that we now experience fullness after eating a large meal or hunger before eating. In their head these people truly experienced the sunrise and sunset. It follows from this that the people living during that time period did not think of themselves merely as creatures of the earth, but rather as members of a more than earthly world that simply happened to be placed on earth. They felt like wanderers on a pilgrimage that took them for a brief sketch, excuse me, that took them for a brief stretch on earth. They felt a strong relationship to things that were not of this earth. By the time of the second post-Atlantean epoch, this had already changed. The life of the entire universe was experienced less, but more experience was connected to what we might refer to as the illuminated essence, the light-being of the universe. People during the ancient Persian epoch experienced the daytime and the nighttime very differently. Between falling asleep and waking up again, they felt truly present in the universe. This time was filled with a meaningful content for them, whereas nowadays we experience it as a gap in our lives. A form of connection with the universe was still present then. Taking this into consideration, we can rightly say, just as the end point of active physical corporeal development in human life diminished over time from the late fifties to the late twenties, so did the living connection between people and the universe diminish in the course of human evolution. To be more specific, we can say, quote, In the first post-Atlantean epoch, the ancient Indian epoch, physical development had active parallel connection with spiritual development up to age 48 or 49 to 56. 
In the second, in the ancient Persian epoch, people experienced developmental moments in their physical corporeal development that were comparable to our changing of teeth and reaching sexual maturity up to age 42 to 49. In the third epoch, which we typically refer to as the Egyptian Chaldean epoch, people experienced such developmental moments up to age 35 to 42. And in the epoch we call the Greco-Roman epoch, the fourth post-Atlantean epoch, this development lasted until age 28 to 35. And then there's a little chart where it just shows these. When you consider this, you will say to yourself, quote, the active parallel development of the human being is diminishing over the course of time, close quote. And along with this change in the longevity of active development, the doors are slowly closing that allow human beings to have a connection with cosmic experiences in the universe. If you would note, not take notes on, but simply note, that we can say the first epoch lasted from 8167 to 5000 567 before Christ, the second from 5,567 to 2,907 approximately, the third from 2,907 to 747 before Christ, the fourth the Greco-Roman epoch from 747 before the mystery of Golgotha to 1,413 after the mystery of Golgotha, and then our epoch, the fifth, began. <clears throat> the time in which parallel human development occurs only up to age 21 to 28. This time began in 1413, and we are still living in the midst of it. And if we want to be very exact, we must say that modern-day human beings undergo a parallel development in their spiritual and physical bodies up to age 27. At that point, the sole spiritual part of human beings begins to free itself from the physical corporeal part during the daytime. This separation of spiritual and physical, this emancipation of the soul spiritual, is thereby something that over time occurs at ever younger age at an ever younger age. You can see that one day the time will come when parallel spiritual physical development will stop once a human being reaches age 14, a time when the developmental moment at which one reaches sexual maturity will cease to be an important part of human development. That time will most certainly come. The geologists still insist on projecting such long epochs for the continued evolution of humanity on earth. But this physical humanity on earth will not develop any further than the moment in which this upper boundary on active spiritual physical development sinks to the fourteenth or thirteenth year. For beyond this point, Physical human beings on earth cannot evolve or develop any more. Women will no longer bear children. 
it will be the end of physical human beings on the earth. I have said before that the predictions and analyses that the vast majority of geographers make are all based on a particular mistake. By measuring the amount of silt that a river has cast on its banks or how much mud has gone over Niagara Falls, it is possible these days to make determinations about specific geological epochs and then, in quotes, prove that such and such a flora or fauna once dominated a particular region at a time many, many, many years in the past. This would be similar to taking a look at a human stomach and the changes it has undergone in the past ten years, and then using that information to determine what that stomach could have looked like 150 years ago. Of course, one can, just as the geologists determine what the earth will look like millions of years from now, determine what that stomach looked like 300 years ago, except that the earth will not be here millions of years from now, just as the physical human being whose stomach we were considering did not exist 300 years ago. Using the physical laws that are the basis of these scientific works, you can, of course, do accurate and correct experiments and figuring, but your results will be as, in quotes, correct as the determination about how a stomach would have looked 300 years ago. What I am presenting to you will be rejected by modern, strictly physical science, but that is precisely why what is true, what is factual, cannot be discovered by such a strict science. You can make endless predictions about the way that the earth will look in a hundred thousand years, about what people will be like then, but by that time human beings will no longer have an existence on earth. These are the things that should have made us build bridges over the spiritual, scientific reports and work. That is the only way to gain true insights into human development and into certain necessary things that must be taken up in human consciousness. Now, it should be relatively easy for you to see that people living in previous epochs experienced certain revelations simply because of the fact that they had a physical corporeal existence, revelations that can be experienced only by people whose parallel spiritual physical development extends beyond a certain developmental point. The ancient Persians and even the ancient Indians had foreheads that remained soft and malleable well into their fifties. Nowadays our foreheads are only that soft when we are very young. Because they had this softer forehead, these people were able to experience revelations. It is not possible for us to receive these revelations as a child. You can receive them only if your forehead remains soft into the later years of your life. Our own mummified foreheads, which are already hardened by the time we reach thirty, cannot allow these revelations to enter us through this old natural pathway. This makes it necessary for us to seek a different means, a purely spiritual means, of allowing our emancipated soul-spiritual aspect to receive a living content. At the same time, this also makes it absolutely necessary for us, in our current cultural epoch, 
to turn ourselves toward spiritual life. For at thirty-five years of age, a person has outgrown the ascending, upward-reaching half of life. From that point on, it begins to descend again. All the things that can be achieved in that first ascending half of life are not things that modern human beings achieve naturally, relying only upon themselves. If we do nothing to achieve these things by some other means than our purely physical development, we have no chance of reaching them. Such insights should allow you to understand just how necessary it is for modern human beings to turn toward spiritual science. The external social structures that human beings have created up to this point necessarily stem from the influence of this older, more malleable physicality. But now we have reached an age where these old structures have become rotten and flimsy, and a new structure can only be created from out of the spirit. This fact is readily apparent these days, and you need only follow current events to observe it. In order to truly understand current events, however, we must understand them in connection with the spiritual world. I want to talk to you about something that may seem very far removed from the theme that I have just been discussing. Several times in the past I have talked about the aged generals and statesmen who are writing their memoirs these days. Among these crowds of memoir writers, there is a person who, compared to the others, is one of the best and most interesting of the Philistines and cynics, a man who led the Austrian troops for some time, Zernin. He is one of these memoir writers. I am not praising him when I say that he is one of the best of them, for in the same breath I must also call him a Philistine and a cynic, a superficial man. But all the same his memoirs must be counted among the most interesting. In his memoirs there is an interesting passage in which he presents arguments about things that might have been able to lessen or to bypass this catastrophe of a world war. Speaking from the perspective of an Austrian, he says, Austria, quote, has been destroyed, has collapsed because of this world war, close quote. But if the war had not happened, it would have collapsed anyway, for it was ripe for failure. It could not stand up any longer. It was decayed and flimsy at its core. He even writes somewhat dramatically, saying, quote, The time had come for us to collapse. We could only choose the means of our death. No other option was open to us, only how we would die. We chose the most terrible. Well, we could see nothing better to do. Perhaps some other way would have been slower, less painful, close quote. So writes Zernin. At its most basic level, this is an entirely correct, um, I don't know this word, apercu, A-P-E-R-C-U, looks French, sorry, for Austria's structure. Let me read that again. At its most basic level, this is an entirely correct apercu, for Austria's structure as a state and nation was a creation of intentions and imaginations stemming from an earlier period of history. Even if those intentions had not, shall we say, grown consciously in the minds of the Austrians, they were still present in a, on a luciferic level. Nowadays, people are seeing how this old structure is beginning to fail and die out. 
people will see this failure correctly only if they come to see the inner reasons, the temporal reasons for this dying out. But they are only able to see that something is wrong when the structure strikes against something and then catastrophically collapses. For a person who stands at the forefront of the times, it simply will not do to come with an assortment of new social ideas and just take over the old state structures, as if those structures can simply be taken and used. That is not possible. We have to accept the idea that this old concept of a state has ceased to make any sense, and that something different must come to take its place, the threefold social order. This threefold social order will create its own states and border. The old ones have lost their ability to hold together. But people today are all sleepers. They participate in these catastrophes as they are played out. To see the inner forces driving this existence and the changes taking place in it, that is something that people simply do not have the will to do. This could only decide, they could only decide to do it if they learn to truly understand the spiritual, scientific underpinnings of things. Then, through a true spiritual understanding of existence, the bridges will be built between an understanding of the purely natural and the, and the social. For in the end, both areas have their own laws, which also have something to do with one another. <laughs> Only when you consider the times from this perspective will you arrive at insights into what is really happening these days. We must eventually decide to say to ourselves, quote, if we truly want to help further human evolution, we cannot allow ourselves to be content with the things that flow into us naturally from outside, for we are able to receive these things only until we are twenty-seven years old. After that we become mummified in our physical body. After that our soul spiritual elements must take their powers from the spiritual world. Quote. A person living nowadays who undergoes only the development that is brought naturally from outside develops actively up to the age of 27. Now you may also take the following to be true. If nowadays most people who then move into so-called higher positions in the world experience standard primary schooling or something similar to it this ceiling on development will be raised somewhat above 27 years old because something flows into people from this history of older cultural epochs that carries them beyond this boundary. If, however, a man were to grow up in the modern world as a truly, uh, in quotes, self-made man and reach 27 years old without immersing his, in quotes, self-made essence into what we refer to as traditional schooling or something similar to it, he might be so far along by that point that he would be already completely in the midst of things that are true for the present moment on earth only, things that allow no possibility of further evolution or development, things that must come to an end in this present age. For if one is to have something in one's soul that empowers future evolution, that thing must come out 
of the spiritual world. So if this person were to reach twenty-seven years old, educated only by his own humanity, by that which came to him through natural, physical, corporeal development, then at twenty-seven he could be elected to Parliament. He would understand the present world entirely, and the present world would understand him. But though he might understand the world, and though the world might understand him, it would be entirely possible that evolution could be ended the day after he was elected by a catastrophic earthquake that would wipe out everything. For his soul would contain no energy, no fuel for an ongoing earth evolution. Such a person, a self-made man who takes in all the things that we receive naturally these days and then closes up entirely at twenty-seven and goes on to become a member of parliament or a minister and so on, this is the characteristic expression of the modern world. The prototypical man of this sort is Lloyd George. He is absolutely the most characteristic product of these times. If you take a look at his biography, you will find that he has everything in him that a man can take solely from his natural, physical, corporeal being prior to his twenty-seventh year. But because he so soundly rejects everything that did not flow to him during this natural development, everything that might be won from a connection to something spiritual, he can never mature beyond twenty-seven years old. In terms of the number of years he has been on earth, he is certainly much older, but in reality he is only twenty-seven. And there are many people among us in the world who also do not mature beyond twenty-seven because they do not take up anything from the spiritual world. The fact that one's hair turns gray or that one otherwise ages physically has nothing to do with what I am talking about. It is entirely possible to be no more than twenty-seven years old even when one is an old man who has lived seventy years on earth and who might be the Prime Minister of France and be named Clemenceau. This is the secret of human evolution, that growing old has nothing to do with keeping track of the number of years one has been alive. On the contrary, if you wish to truly grow older, you must go through a process that allows the spiritual element into your soul evolution. It is therefore no accident that Lloyd George was the one who was able to speak to the modern world in a dire moment. For in such a materialistic time as this modern age, the person who could speak to the world was a man who had in the most characteristic, natural, typical way reached twenty-seven years old and never moved beyond it. In fact, this was exactly how old he was when he became a member of Parliament and so genially aided in the development of recent events. These days you will not come to know the world by looking only at the images that swim on the surface of so-called civilization. You will come to know the world only when you truly see it from the inside out, in the way I have indicated. We human beings have been given two different aspects for our development, the shell and the content. People in previous ages, the first, second, and third cultural epochs, were given the content of their development, or the spiritual aspect, 
along with the shell or physical aspect. The beings of the upper hierarchies still lived in the physical shell. We develop in our bodies in the following manner. In our human form are the spirits of form. In our ether body, the spirit of the times. In our astral bodies, the angels of the earth. And in our eye, the angels themselves. But it goes no farther than this, for we must willfully and consciously climb to those places that people of previous times reached simply by virtue of what flowed to them through their physical development. And one cannot learn to understand the moral development of humanity without paying heed to this. The people who write histories these days are like blind people writing about color. They only write empty phrases that have no actual content. From these empty, contentless phrases stem political platforms and social programs, even so-called ideals that inspire people to want to affect this or that kind of change in society. It is impossible to do any work in society unless you are working out of the driving forces of human evolution. It is necessary to understand the times, but you can hope to build this understanding only on a spiritual foundation. In world events, you can see just how strangely people view these modern times. In their attempts to move beyond the everyday into something larger, people now undertake the strangest things. For example, think back to several years ago, before the World War catastrophe, before people had any idea just how insignificant they would be for civilization, to when the countries of the world participated together in, quote, Olympic Games. Now, it is true the Greeks had Olympic Games long ago, but our cultural epoch is separated by many hundreds of years from these ancient Greeks. We no longer have the same physical or soul-spiritual makeup that the ancient Greeks had. We need to find something that is appropriate to our current physical and soul-spiritual makeup. We reveal the impotence of our spirit our complete lack of true soul content, when we continue to endlessly rehash these old traditions. Olympic games were possible for people who continued to undergo active, parallel, physical and soul-spiritual development into their thirty-third year. To simply reinstate a practice that people did in the past is no different than a 35-year-old man suddenly deciding that he will start acting like a 15-year-old boy. This ideal of the Olympic Games is a comparable decision. From our recent moment onward, we must seek absolutely after that inner understanding of the world based on the spiritual foundations of human evolution. For even the old connections out of which people have worked for so many years, have become fragile and uncertain. A snail shell continues to last even after the snail has died. The old states nowadays hold onto their pieces of this world like old snail shells created by snails long dead, shells created by completely different imaginations. 
but it is necessary now for new social structures to evolve out of the renewed imaginative life of human beings. The great death of the old social structures that began in the East and has already taken hold in Central Europe will continue to spread. But this would be positive if it were properly understood. And if people were to think less about how to reinstate the old regimes and instead turn their attention to the true relationships that exist in the present and from these true relationships to give form to the new social structures I have spoken of. Looking at it more broadly, we must say to ourselves, quote, spiritual science demands an understanding of our soul aspect that is less comfortable than the one to which we have grown accustomed, close quote. People nowadays are completely unaware of the driving forces behind the evolution and development in the midst of which they are standing. I found it interesting to see how a member of our society responded in the latest issue of titled Drei Gliederung to the style of Kernpunkte der sozialen Frage. All sorts of nonsense had been written about the style of that book that it is too difficult to understand, full of overly complicated sentences and so on. It is a good thing that at least one person has pointed out that this book is, after all, a call for complete human renewal, and that it is not intended to be a sleeping aid for those who are looking for a comfortable book to read. (laughs) These days people conflate the most contradictory things, even in the moments when they believe their arguments foolproof. You can go out and talk with the so-called masses, and you will find that they all demand that things be easy to read, accessible to all. You will find that perhaps the most demanding people in this regard are those who believe their spirits to be the most free. These people would find a a more elevated style boring. Where does this demand for accessibility, for ease of understanding, come from? If these people thought about it for a moment, they might be quick to retract such judgments, which they have made so often. For the accessibility that so many free-spirited, church-hating people demand in the style of texts they read is nothing less than an aspect of that style that certain members of the clergy sought to use as a means of keeping people as dumb as possible. In their Sunday afternoon sermons, they presented only things that were, quote, crystal clear, close quote, to the people attending church, things that were crystal clear even to the people who slept with their eyes open while they listened to the sermon. Sitting at the very back of the church, there is always the little old mother who sleeps through the sermon and who, when asked about it, responds, quote, well, What else is left to people in this world if we cannot have a little time to sleep at church? This sleepy state is closely related to the populist style that everyone demands nowadays. Both come about because of the desire to take away the ability for a certain free and living thought development in the intended audience. Precisely what people grew accustomed to hearing in the Sunday sermon, is the same as what the church-hating social democrats are demanding as a populist style. This is the connection. The people today who find the style of Kernpunkte difficult 
would roundly reject any suggestion that they were people of the Church. Yet the fact that they find the text so difficult can be traced back to the quote, crystal clear close quote, style of Sunday afternoon church sermons. This is also something people have to confront through spiritual science, to look directly at events and experiences in complete freedom. People tend to become the most confused when it comes to the things that govern human evolution. Above all else, the future of human evolution will require a tremendous amount of energy in our soul lives. And this is precisely why we live in such a different time. Last Sunday, while an Egyptian darkness descended upon us in this hall, I informed you all about some of the recent attempts to attack our spiritual science. It is not uncommon, however, for someone within our circle to fixate in their thinking on such an occurrence and not be able to forgive it. We must speak out strongly against this, for these kinds of slanderous attacks against anthroposophically oriented spiritual science and the things it sees as important in society are only just beginning. <laughs> Every time someone from our circle encounters one of these slanderers, we must insist the slanderer be treated as kindly as possible, whether old or young, man or woman. We must say that anyone who slanders will also be treated with the utmost kindness within our circle. When it comes to people who spread such things in the world, we must try to befriend them. This is the only thing that can be done in these times. Anyone who understands this moment in history should be able to see this clearly. There is no reason to argue with people who spread slanderous stories everywhere. Instead, it is up to us to characterize and describe these people to the rest of the world. It is important that we not do anything harmfully or maliciously to them, that we not act as though trying to compete or measure up to them, and that we make clear to other people such kinds of individuals are out there in the world. This is what is important right now. For we are standing before a crucial moment in human evolution, and all of this finger-pointing is the very worst thing that can happen in the service of humanity. It is much more comfortable to point fingers than it is to have a clear understanding of what is truly important right now, of what is truly at stake. <laughs> Above all, we must be clear about the fact that a true understanding of our task in society can only be found in the Spirit. But in saying that, there are naturally many other things that must be achieved, along the way. On the one hand, there is our science, which is in need of a complete renewal. We can do nothing further with modern science. We must give ourselves the possibility of truly penetrating into the spiritual aspect of the natural world. We must allow ourselves the possibility of understanding natural science, medicine and biology in general from a spiritual perspective with the things that we would learn by opening up this possibility. We could truly develop fruitful thoughts about society and social questions. Otherwise we will go on trying to create something new with old terms and old forms. But this is precisely what is leading us ever closer to our downfall. Humanity must ascend from these depths, but it must do so through a process of spiritual renewal. 
and anyone who does not resolve to look at the old and be able to regard it truly as the old will not be able to aid in the forward progress of humanity. I have made this point to you in many different ways. Today I wanted to draw your attention to the fact, which I have also said often in the past, that humanity is growing progressively younger in connection with the age of our lifetimes. The people of the ancient Indian epoch grew until fifty years old. Then the ancient Persians aged into their forties, the Egypto-Chaldeans into their late thirties, the ancient Greeks into their early thirties. We never reach that age in the same way. We continue to trot along, but we do not truly age if we do not invigorate ourselves inwardly with the Spirit. For to become older in those ancient epochs meant simultaneously to develop in your physical corporeal form and to become wiser. Modern human beings, as they age, simply get older and do not grow wiser. They become mummies. People truly age only when they fill those mummies inwardly. The Egyptians mummify their dead. Modern-day human beings have no need to be mummified, for they wander about as mummies during their lifetime and only avoid being mummies when the spirit is taken up in the living present. Then the mummies are vivified. This is absolutely necessary for humanity at present that these mummies come to life. Otherwise we will continue to have organizations in the world in which a wide variety of odd sounds are made by the mummies that comprise them. We call these organizations uh, political parties. But the sounds that come from the mummified people will gradually become purely aramonic voices, and it was those voices that caused the catastrophe of the last several years. This is the shadow side of the matter. This is the deadly serious part of it. If people in the present do not start to fill their mummified shells with spiritual content, they will be filled with the whispering voices of Araman. Then human beings will continue to walk the earth, but the voices that speak from within them will be Aramonic demons. <laughs> we can only hinder their growing presence on the earth by resolving to seek out a living connection to the spiritual world. Yes, this, is, this all has a very, very serious side. A striving after spiritual science in this day and age is simultaneously a striving to drive the Aramonic spirits out of humanity, a drive to keep those Aramonic spirits from possessing humankind. The end of Lecture 4